Welcome back to the Off of the Couch podcast. Maggie here. Bill D. Simone is a personal trainer and has been since 1983. He's the author of Joint Friendly Fitness and Congruent Exercise. I really enjoyed getting to have a conversation with him. Here's Bill D. Simone. Anyway, um, the backstory question. So I've been working out myself for over 50 years now, and I've been a personal trainer for 40. So I'm going to try to cut that down so you don't hear a lot of people turning the podcast off. <laughs> okay, so, fair enough. Um, I've had my own studio since 2006. Prior to that, I was working in physical therapy clinics and private homes in New Jersey. Prior to that, I was um, in New York City in commercial and corporate and residential sites as a personal trainer. Um, and prior to that, I was a larva. No, prior to that, <laughs> you know, 1983. So I was going back a bit. Um, um, I was age certified in 2006, which I maintain. Um, I mean, well, I maintain that just in case they should put licensing in. Oh, this way I would be I would be uh, grandfathered Grandfather. in, yeah. rather than jump through new hoops. Um, and frankly, at my age, I, I, I really, the last thing I want to do is jump through new hoops, but, um, and I was also NSCA certified in the nineties, but I let that lapse. I had the CSCS and the CPT, wow. but I let, I let those lapse in, the, um, probably around 2010, um, because the NSA material was really irrelevant to the types of clients I had. And the continuing ed credits, uh, it, it can be a little bit of a racket. And yeah. at that time, at that time, I decided, all right, I'm going to cut back on the, uh, I'm going to cut back on the stuff that's, that's not entirely useful. Um, the ACE stuff, I don't, I don't use a lot of their current stuff. But it's generally generally um, well, the stuff I use is aimed at the non-athletic population. Let me mm -hmm. put it that way. Um, and I, I do use a lot of their textbook material, not so much their their attempts to be trendy. I don't use that stuff at all. So, <laughs> gotcha. Um, but I think, you know, of more interest to a podcast audience is the joint friendly fitness material I do, mm -hmm. which is related but separate from the personal training. And oh. that's, that, that's the stuff that's in print, Kindle, YouTube, um, seminars, and such. Um, so I say it's related but separate because... Um, I had been a personal trainer. I injured myself. That directly led to the joint friendly fitness material. Um, so without the experience and the 
training, and I use the term loosely as a personal trainer, uh, I wouldn't have had a, a context for the joint friendly fitness material. But um, gotcha. but it, it's separate in that I don't like if a client comes to me to train here, I don't elaborate on the joint friendly fitness material, which is it can be a little bit technical. Um, but the clients coming to you in person, they just generally want you to tell them what to do. They don't need to know why, or they're not interested. The ones I've had are not particularly interested in why. They don't want the explanation. If you show them how to do it and they copy it, that's good enough. Mm -hmm. um, the joint friendly fitness material is more for somebody who um, maybe a recreational trainer who's now having new problems with things they had done for years and they have a new joint ache or pain um, or it's for like the interns for instance who are a little more science oriented than commercial trainers um, so again it's related but it's 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 somewhat separate so what would somebody starting out that does that does have some previous injuries um, how would you start somebody on an exercise program if they did have, you know, maybe some previous knee or shoulder injuries? So, you know, over a certain age, that's everybody. Yeah. That's, every, that's pretty much everybody. Yeah. Or back. Yeah. Um, and I, and I don't know about you, but most of my clients are, have all, well, at one time they were older than me. Now I'm right in the middle of the range. But, um, <laughs> but um, most of the people coming to me, especially with, especially with the joint friendly fitness um, exposure, they're coming because they don't want to work out necessarily in public. They're a little concerned. Well, like I say in the back of the joint friendly fitness book, the images from the hardcore exercise of the extreme exercise have turned them off. So they might think that there's a value to exercise, but not if it involves training to failure or vomiting from a workout or doing something reckless to their back or their shoulder. So almost by definition, if people come to me, that's in the background. Um, and then when they see the studio behind me and they, they see familiar, familiar equipment that's not particularly intimidating. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a, an Olympic barbell, for instance, or a squat rack because, well, first of all, if you have one, it implies people are going to use it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and that's really not, um, you know, that's fine if you're in a commercial gym and you're trying to appeal to everybody or to a certain segment. But for people who are leery about exercise in the first place because they don't want to get hurt, that's just not a good lead. Right. So, you know, it just isn't. Yeah. And they by think the way, you're going to make them work up to that. Yeah. And, 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 and by the way, I can also explain in biomechanics and anatomic and sports medicine terms why you wouldn't want everyone to barbell squat or deadlift or bench press. Um, but I wouldn't explain that to a, a new prospect. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so basically they come in, they see, um, a couple of pieces of cardio equipment. 
they see some weight stack machines that aren't this Nautilus Nitro. So it's not really big, cumbersome equipment. Um, but it's a, but it is an upgrade over what they would see in a, a house, for instance. Um, and then I have power racks and other uh, not power racks. Um, the select, selectorized dumb power bells, the selectorized dumbbells, okay, and and tubing and other things you'd see in a physical therapy practice. So, so that person is kind of at ease in this environment, right? So yeah. again, if somebody somebody aspires to be a bodybuilder or a CrossFit champion, there's plenty of places where they can go. Uh, I'm not trying to steal that business or even appeal to that business. Um, that person's parent, a grandparent. That's who I want to. That's who I want to appeal to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we're getting the advice that we, you know, need to prevent osteoporosis and sarcopenia, and and I know certainly um, a lot of women really have no idea how to get started or how to. Um, they're intimidated going to a gym. So you know. Um, osteoporosis, osteopenia, sarcopenia. I never speak in those terms. Um, I'm much more where the tire meets the road, to, to, to use an old cliche. Um, I, think, I think most people in 2023 accept that regular exercise has benefits. Okay. And I've never really found it convincing to just give them a list of the benefits. Okay. If they're, if they're talking to you as a trainer because they're interested in training, mm -hmm. they've already settled that. I'll generally start people after I've asked them specifically about every joint and if they've heard it. And if they have, you know, I give them a standard health history type form. Yeah. Um, and again, but then I'll pick at mainly the orthopedic stuff. Um, generally, I'll start with five or 10 minutes of a cardio piece. And then we'll go to generally three exercises, nitro leg press, the nitro chest press, and a row on the freedom trainer, the nitro okay. able device. And then we will do a pectoral stretch and then on the mat for calf and hamstring stretches. Oh. So um, the weight and on the weights, it's pretty much one set that I know is too light. So I can set the machine up and explain to them how to do the exercise. Yeah. Um, without breaking open my book and saying, here, memorize this page, <laughs> you, you know, I, I'll, I, I'll, uh, that's not what they're here for. Right. Like, you know, if they wanted to read the book, they would have read the book. They're here for the in-person stuff. Um, first set, deliberately too light to teach me how to do the exercise. Second yeah. set, a little bit heavier. And the third set is what I would call a work set where I want them to do the form I just showed them and I'll give them a number, usually a low number, five or six. And I'll say, um, do five and then use your judgment. So 
it's been it's a world of difference. If you as a trainer give a person a weight and you say do 12 and they do eight, to you as a trainer, that's just data. It's not good, it's not bad, it's just numbers, just data. To the brand new exerciser, it's demoralizing. The trainer, they said do the do, 12. Yeah. the trainer said I should be able to do 12. He, know, he or she knows what he's doing. I could only do eight. That's a failure. And, uh, well, in the real sense of the word. On the other hand, if you, get, if you tell a person to do five and they do the same eight, it's an entirely different. <laughs> they feel very successful, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. It's an entirely different, you know, reaction. So, um, so that's where I go with it. And, um, you know, and I, I never, um, I, I always tell them when the thought pops in your head, I can't do another one this way. Stop there. So it becomes more of a reps maximum type thing than a train to failure okay. issue. Um, um, and so, and so that's generally the first workout. Um, the cardio is very light. I just have them generally not on a treadmill because the speed is not in their control. So it'll be the elliptical or the recumbent bike because they're in control of how hard they work. Mm -hmm. And then after five or 10 minutes, I'll record some measure of what they did, whether it's say total strides on the elliptical or the mileage on the bike. And the next, and this is all at their pace. They're just doing it. Mm -hmm. And the next time they come in, I'll say, this is what you did last time. Try to do a little bit better. And then each time they come in, they're feeling a little more comfortable with it and they work harder naturally. I don't have to bark at them. Um, and I spent a lot of years barking at people, by the way, but um, but that only where that has, has a limited um, limited use, limited you know appeal. Mm -hmm. um, so they've done the bike or the elliptical for five or ten minutes. Um, those three exercises, unless they have something specific that doesn't allow them to do it, a knee problem, a hip problem, shoulder problem. In which case I'll substitute with something else. Um, and then each time they come in, the 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 cardio warm-up stays pretty much the same, but I'll either add an exercise or go heavier on the exercises they are doing. And so I explained to them that look, any trainer can talk any client into training way over the head the first time. Yeah. But if you get sick or nauseous or too sore from it, good chance you don't come back. Right. Or you as the trainer can take a month to get to that point. And in a month, the client won't have as bad a reaction. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I find it's better to be, you know, uh, be very progressive and not to jump on to not to be too strong about mm -hmm. it. And, and, and I, frankly, I, you know, I, I, um, 
you know, I came out of the 70s and 80s, the Nautilus Fitness Centers, and I'm very well versed in that material. Mm-hmm. And it was good material for its time in that context. But um, I, I think it's, well, it, it was of limited success in the 70s and 80s, wasn't it? It didn't really, you know, it got pushed. It, it, it's kind of invisible in commercial health clubs now, that style of training. So, um, um, I acknowledge its influence, but I've modified it based on my experience in dealing with clients here in, in New York. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I, I heard in some of your podcasts, you, you've worked in that, that setting, that environment, the Norlis Fitness. Well, uh, yeah, I started, um, that's when I first used weights was in a, in a Nautilus club back in the, I think it was the late seventies. It might've been 1980, but, um, and then. Uh, a couple years later and yeah and then when I became a personal trainer in 1999 I didn't really have any experience so I volunteered at the Y and they had Nautilus back then now they have the matrix circuits which I think are um, also in planet fitness you know I think they're just obviously maybe a less expensive choice but the workouts are pretty similar that I teach and if somebody wants to do more functional fitness I usually recommend one of the younger trainers (laughs) or or I'll do teach them like a circuit that's kind of similar but on the you know the um the cable machines and with some of the other equipment well see unlike a lot of the other hit influence people you speak to I I don't have that visceral reaction against the word functional Uh uh-huh um you know in in, um mike menser said once about arthur jones and joe weeder that if if arthur if joe weeder said right arthur jones automatically said left oh interesting And, (laughs) and um a lot of the hit influence people if the commercial fitness industry does something, they're immediately against it. Uh-huh. Which is throwing a baby out with the bathwater. Right. So, um, you know, I, I have a Swiss ball. I have medicine balls. I have elastic bands. I have body blades. I have a BOSU. And I have very specific limited things I do with it. So that if somebody says that, I don't, give them a lecture or discourage them i say okay and we do something that's very specific mm-hmm. that i've kind of wheedled i've kind of um you know i've whittled down the ways they can get hurt on it and i do the one or two things they, they can do that has a value and everybody's happy you know one of the things the hit guys used to do is they would they would insist that they're going to educate people which is such a condescending attitude that you know and a lot of times customers or clients they don't have the vocabulary to to um be very specific as to what they're asking so they fall back on what they read in the magazine or what they overheard um you know trust me if a client says i'd like to do something functional they're not insulting you as a trainer <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, they're just they read they're an just, article or they read something in, in a you know yeah they read something 
they don't have the vocabulary to say, is there anything of value in here specific to me? Mm. Um, which leads me to another tangent. You know, in 1983, when I started, there was a very limited body of exercise information. You had maybe Cooper's books on aerobics. Right. You had, um, you probably had Darden's books on Nautilus training. You had Bob Anderson's stretch, stretching. Right, right. Um, and then maybe you had, you know, the, the Arnold bodybuilding junk. Yes. And women uh, shortly thereafter had Jane Fonda. <laughs> yes, yes. But, but my point being, in 1983, you had a limited body of work and clients came to personal trainers to access that limited body of work. Mm -hmm. 40 years later, and again, clients don't have the vocabulary for this because they're not, just not thinking about it in this way. 40 years later, they're going to the personal trainer to find out what they don't need to know. Like now there's okay. a glut, there's right. a glut of information. Right. Um, and, you know, between the influencers and the wings in the existing bookstores on how to get in shape. Now there's too much information. <laughs> yeah. Right. So when yeah. the client's really coming to you for, again, they, they, they're not thinking of it in this, these terms, but what they're coming to you as a trainer is, is just tell me what I, this body needs to do to get in shape. Right. Right. If I don't need to jump on a box, great. If I don't need to flip a tire, great. But they don't know. Yeah. All they know is what they see or what they hear or, or what they run through on social media. So, um, see, I, so I look at personal training more as consulting than as I look at it as a coach. So some trainers take the attitude that they're a coach. I know how to do exercises. I'm going to teach you how to do exercises. Mm. But I look at it that, okay, I have a lot more experience with this exercise stuff than you as a client do. I'm going to help you with your issue with exercise. Um, so, you know, it's that, that line about if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So if you're a strength trainer, everything, the answer to everything is strength training. If you're a yoga teacher, the answer to everything is yoga. But that's not necessarily yeah. helping that individual in front of you. So, yeah. So you take your client and see what's going to work for them versus fitting them into a particular routine, which, I, yeah, a lot of the, um, a lot of the hit trainers do have a very set routine for everyone. Right. But it sounds no, like you're a little I'll, more flexible. I'll be very honest. I don't know what they actually do in practice. Mm -hmm. I know they're, I know on social media and at different conferences, they like to present that they're, they have the one right, the one right way. But I also know that in practice, people make a lot of deviations to accommodate, to keep the client coming. I just admit okay. it. I just admit it. Uh, I see. <laughs> I admit that that's the case. Yeah. I just, I, but, but so I don't really know. Like again, in, in the seventies and eighties, you had specific Nautilus fitness centers. Right. Like in a racquetball court or maybe some standalone <gasps> places. Yeah. Yeah. Where you were supposed to only do Nautilus, um, the Nautilus protocol. Right. Um, and where are they? <laughs> you know, I, I, I actually I actually think 
that general Nautilus protocol, if you sanded off the edges of the extremes of the range of motion and got away from the failure um, attitude, probably would have been a lot more appealing than it ended up being. Like there's obviously a niche of people that really thrived on that and love it and perpetuate yeah. it. But I think most people had a little bit of an experience with it. Um, maybe they didn't fit into a machine right, a joint hurt, a joint hurt, yeah. or, or they didn't like the sensation of almost vomiting as a result of a workout. And they, they either looked elsewhere or just dropped it. So, um, However, that's I, very much that's very much water under the bridge. I've never taken people quite that close to failure. Um, I know we all interpret that a little differently. And that's that is the problem with the word, right? So not yeah. only is it a bad not only is it a bad connotation, it looks different in practice for everybody. Right. Um, so I, I I never refer to it or or its recent cousin muscular success. Oh, I haven't heard um, that yet. <laughs> yeah. No, I just I just call it a work set. Mm -hmm. It's a work set, right? And if 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 you do a work set of ten repetitions, I can't do eleven. Yeah. Or ten repetitions, and I'm going to strain to do fifteen. Or ten repetitions, but I could have done twenty. Any of them is better than not doing it at all. So as long as it's a work set, you're going in the right direction. Yeah, um, I guess that does makes. I try to get people to tire the muscle, but um, you know, I um, did you ever follow Bill Phillips' Body for Life? I was familiar with it back in in what was that the nineties? Yeah, well, he had a book in the um, later. I think it was about maybe twenty fourteen, somewhere around there, and he had his own little Facebook group and a. And, and he would come on live and I happened to be following him at that time. And um, one week he didn't show up for his live um, TV thing. And he was in the hospital because he ruptured both of his legs. Like, I believe it was right below his knees. Like he went, he literally went to failure and then he went down the steps and it, it detached you had to have things sewn back together so i'm not <laughs> a person who wants to take people quite so far you know i want them to tire the muscle but muscle failure you know i just picture bill phillips lying in the hospital with his knees having to be sewn back together <laughs> well and plus in in you know the sports medicine context failure means exactly that something ruptured yeah so that you know I understand metaphor, and so for them to write that or to write about that in the seventies, um, so, so you know context does matter. So in the seventies, when the muscle magazines were glorifying the idea of pump, yeah, or Arnold in, in pumping iron, you know, glorifying the idea of pump, training to failure was a a a comparison. A simile, shall we say, but mm -hmm. but uh, no, no, not whatever, whatever. It was, but it was a way of drawing a distinction between what they were doing pumping and what the other guys were doing, which was training harder. However, when you take it out of context, it's it's not a great, particularly descriptive phrase. Right. Um, 
again, compared to work set or reps maximum or any of a whole lot of other less loaded phrases. Um, so, but, but, and, and that type of thing that, that, that type of story, Bill Phillips, well, that, that's what joint friendly fitness is about. I mean, I, I am, I ruptured my own biceps and my own triceps, which is what got me on that oh. track. It got, it got me off the, off the Nautilus NSCA, um, it got me out of that particular track and I, and I rebuilt what I knew using, um, anatomy and biomechanics textbooks and sports medicine textbooks. Um, and what I, what I found was that a lot of what I had been doing in the name of exercise directly contradicted what was in those textbooks. Mm. So I, I redid everything for my own purposes mainly. And then I decided to put it in the manual, which was moment arm exercise. Um, and then that, caught a little bit of an audience and then and then I just kept pursuing that particular um, approach um, but yeah I mean to any like like when I have the interns who, who are very well versed in the in the science part of exercise science mm-hmm. they look at some of the pictures in the muscle magazines and they just like see injuries waiting to happen um, old muscle magazines because they don't really exist anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, and the other thing too is like, you know, that type of thing with Bill Phillips, I think that's a lot more common than people know. He just had the misfortune to be scheduled to be on Facebook when it happened. <laughs> right. But I think that type of thing happens a lot more frequently than um, than is, is publicized. Right. Um, Obviously, it's not good for your brand. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, what would be the difference then between the old uh, Nautilus style, besides not going that close to muscle failure, um, like for more of a general? You know, I know you work with people individually, and um, but just for well, a general well, recommendation. Well, for instance. Um, the old Nautilus pullover machine, which used to be knocked off by every manufacturer. And now if you go to a commercial gym, you probably don't see it. From no, they don't have them anymore. That's right. That's right. Well, and one of the things they touted was 270 degrees of motion around the shoulder joint oh. as if it was a good, <laughs> as if it was a good thing. Okay. <clears throat> and, it, and it, you know, it doesn't take a lot of research into a biomechanics textbook to find out shoulders don't really have 270 degrees of motion around the shoulder. Um, You run into impingement, you have to arch the back, you have to release the scapula, and this is all against the load that's supposed to challenge the big muscles, the lats, and now you're challenging scapular retractors and you're creating impingements. Um, so that type of stuff, it was an interesting attempt in context, but, you know, they, um, I do know they made some pullovers with range limiters and some manufacturers like MedEx, instead of having, um, 
instead of having the upper arms move parallel as you moved overhead, they, they had independent axes, which brought it more in line with how shoulders are supposed to move. Mm. Um, so that's the type of thing that if you just, but if you didn't know any of that and you just cut back on some of that range on an Orlis pullover, you probably would have avoided problems. Um, however, clearly enough people didn't do that. And now you can't, yeah. find, now it's very hard to find that machine or, any, or even a knockoff of that machine. Right. Um, um, uh, some of the, um, the chest pressing machines where you were encouraged to let your elbows go as far back behind your, your torso as possible. Mm-hmm. And then press out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a condition called the anterior instability, which is affects the front of your shoulder. And one of the things they suggest to avoid it or to not have it recur is don't allow the weight to push you back that far. Okay. <clears throat> so your shoulder isn't supposed to be loaded that far behind the plane of your torso. Mm-hmm. So again, if you sanded off the if you sanded off the extremes of the edges of those old Nautilus routines, um, people would have been a lot better off. And pretty much a lot of the machines did that. They had an exaggerated. They implied that it was an exaggerated range of motion that was somewhat um, unaware of joint aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though the Nautilus material at the time tried to be um, an alternative to the muscle magazines. Yeah. They tried to be, and, and, and they were marginally better, or they were an attempt to be better, but they still only reacted to how the muscle felt. They didn't actually look at the joints, which are unavoidably mm. involved whenever you lift weights. Okay. Okay, so... If, a, if something felt, if you felt something in the muscle, that was a sign that was effective. Um, but feel is very, first of all, it's feel, it's subjective by definition. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily effectiveness that you're feeling. You could be feeling that the muscle's gone taut. Uh, you could be feeling that it's gone into active or passive insufficiency. You could be feeling the impingement there's a whole lot uh, of things that can account for a feel that are not good. <laughs> not, not good in okay. the long run, anyway. anyway. So, um, but anyway, you know, but now I, I don't, I'm not entirely familiar with the planet, with commercial operations. Um, does Planet Fitness, do they have circuits set up? Or do they just have like all the chest machines, all the leg machines, all the arm machines? Yeah, they have a lot. They don't have a lot of free weights, although they do have dumbbells and they have uh, like Smith machine squat racks, but then they have a matrix circuit. It's pretty, um, it has more than what we have at the YMCA. Um, And then they have like an ab room and they have a stretching, they have a pretty wide variety. Then they have a special 30 minute circuit that was kind of a knockoff on curves that had you step on that step up and down in between each exercise. So you got your cardio and weights in 30 minutes. So they have a, they have a really wide variety, Um, but they're, 
machines, I believe are matrix machines, which are almost identical to what we have at the YMCA, but then they have a lot more. So where, where do you mainly train people? Um, I, I, I do a lot of orientations at the YMCA. So mm -hmm. um, I'm teaching people to use the equipment and, and hoping that they continue <laughs> to work out on their own. Um, and so they're working on specific stations as opposed to freeway barbell dumbbell exercise. Yeah, and and uh, most of the people that that want an orientation from me are people that um, we have two weight rooms. One is uh, cable machines and free weights and and. Uh, barbells and all that and then the other one is the machine circuit is separate so it's um so that's where i mostly teach people people that don't know what to do at all and then if they get bored there they can go upstairs most of the people that work out on the free weights um come in with a plan and know what they're doing or maybe right. they're high school kids and somebody else is teaching them <laughs> besides right. me they don't want someone their, their grandma's age to show them what to do <laughs> yeah but but you know so for that person coming to you and getting an orientation on the the stations yeah that's fine that's just what yeah yeah that's yeah. that's exactly what they need, and so if you can demystify it for them, right. you've done them a real a real service. Right. Um, you know that's partly why uh, when I start people on the cardio for the warm up, I I don't give them a target to start. I just want them to do it. Yeah. Because if you start with the different programs and okay, we're now going to increase the level, now we're going to increase the resistance, now we're going to increase, you know, you yeah. you have to demystify it for people. Yeah. If they stick with it and they get more, they feel more competent on it, they will explore the different routes to go with it. Exactly. But as the, as the trainer, as the person introducing them to it, you want to de demystify it for them. Yeah. I, I like demonstrate and then I like use, I have them use a light weight to learn the form, you know, so I'm more teaching them how to do it. So a um, lightweight to use the form, though, that is the right answer, because compared yeah. to doing nothing, that's that's a big advance. Yeah. Um, and as somebody who used to train to failure and beyond mm -hmm. and strain and be good enough at it that I could at least participate in bodybuilding contests, mm -hmm. I can honestly say I don't see a too much difference between doing enough and doing over the top. Oh, interesting. Certainly yeah. not compared. Certainly not compared to um, managing your diet better. Okay. Like, yeah. Like it's e it's easy to mentally gear up for a half hour, an hour hard workout because the other twenty three hours you're not thinking about it. Right. It's much harder to gear up to watch what you eat because that you got to do for twenty four hours. Right. But the, and, and you don't and, control all that yourself when people are bringing birthday cakes into your workplace and <laughs> yeah i mean and there is, and you do have to have a social life you know you yeah, do have yeah. to be a social social creature um but I, I i've said many times in these things that mistakes i made at 20 haunted me at 40 but mistakes uh -huh. i make now mistakes i make now haunt me a little later right 
So when I was in my 20s and teens and reading the muscle magazines and doing upright rows to press behind the neck supersets and saying, wow, I really feel that in my shoulders, I was feeling swelling. I wasn't feeling pump. Okay. And then in, in my 40s, as I'm rupturing my biceps and triceps, which should have happened in my 60s, but I kind of mm -hmm. rushed things along. <laughs> that's what I mean. Mistakes I made in my 20s haunted me at 40. Mistakes I make, if I make a mistake now because I get too ambitious with a weight or I push a little bit too harder, in a couple hours, I'll be feeling, I'll be putting ice packs on because I can feel it, the, the irritation right away. Yeah. So where the kids in their 20s can get away with a lot. Absolutely. And, and heal up. Of, yeah, well, heal up really quickly. You know, and that is the problem within, with, with um, recreational exercises and trainers getting older. We start this stuff in our 20s when we have a huge margin of error. Right. right? And, and we think that's how it works. Right. What we did in our 20s, how I got to bench press 300 pounds or squat 300 or whatever, ran a marathon. The way I trained then, that's how it's supposed to be. And then you have age-related changes to your skeleton and your joints, as well as what other, other wear and tear. Yeah. And you try to do what worked in your 20s, it can't possibly work the same way. Um, so, for instance, you know, using cardio to warm up, mm -hmm. which, I know, which I know makes the hit guy's heads explode. <laughs> A, that I said cardio, and B, that it's, I said warm up. Yeah. Um, cardio is the vernacular that mainstream people understand. Right. So you could go into a long semi-academic explanation as to why it's not just the heart working and why it should be physical activity and, and it's not calories, it's hormone. You could go through all that stuff. But the fact of the matter is mainstream people understand a certain type of activity as cardio mm -hmm. and they use their heart rate to track it. Hence mm -hmm. cardio. But in the ACE textbooks, it's very clear that when you go from non-exercising to exercising, your body shunts the blood from the internal organs to the working muscles. And then when you go from exercising to non-exercising, the blood has to reverse. Mm -hmm. And if you don't warm up and don't cool down, your performance will suffer because while you're doing the exercise, your body's trying to shunt the blood. And then if you don't cool down, the blood pools into working muscles, you get faint, you go horizontal, and now the blood shunts back where it's supposed to be. So in the personal training textbooks, it says you do a light cardio warm-up to start that shunting process. Your performance mm -hmm. is better. And then you do a cool-down so that you don't get faint and lightheaded after your workout. Now, under the hit influence, I used to not do either. Mm -hmm. And probably, probably till I was about 50, I, I got away with it. And then around 50, I noticed, boy, this workout's a little, this workout I could do is a lot harder than it was a couple of weeks ago. And now I'm a little lightheaded after my workout. Oh, I, must okay. not have enough, I must not have enough sugar, enough water, enough something, enough this, enough that. And uh, the answer was, no, just remember to do the warm up and the cool down. And that took care of quite a bit. Interesting. So, again, something you did in your 20s that you got away with because you have a right. bigger margin of error. In yeah, 50s, 60s, or in some of my clients' case, 70s and 80s, you know, it's not yeah, going to work. Yeah, yeah. 
it's not going to work. And not just because I say so, because every national certification, every academic right. science department argue with them. <laughs> right, right. So. Probably why those cardio machines have it built in, right? The cool down and the warm up and... Yeah, interesting. Well, and again, but but again, you have to demystify it for people, right? Because otherwise, people yeah. just jump off. <laughs> they, just, they just jump off. Oh, I'm done, and they're out. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No, that's another another reason I include stretching at the end of the workout is because now, as part of a cool down, now they are deliberately lying down. I help them stretch calves, hamstrings, hips, mm -hmm. um, and now they've cooled down in front of me. Yeah. And they can leave and not have a problem. Nice. So but they're not going to just rush out to their car. And, if they were to finish yeah. the last set of curls or whatever, you know, whatever big muscle exercise and leave mm -hmm. and go to their car and now they got to get horizontal. That's yeah. A problem. Interesting. So I got in the habit of doing um, core work, abdominal exercises and such and stretching at the end of the workout. Mm -hmm. So now the person's cooled down in front of me. So now when they leave, I know that they left okay. Nice. Um, as, as clientele gets older, you notice they have a little harder time with the blood pressure, with the shift yeah, in yeah. pressure, if they're horizontal or sitting to standing. So, um, and that's real, because you can find it in the, the phys textbooks and all. So I, so I just, I modify the workout to accommodate that. I don't, I don't, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Nice. So, so what you're doing that that's, that's doing those people a service, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, a less experienced person would take the person into the freeway area or beat them up on the machines and educate the person on the, the wonders of hard working out. And then if they're sore, if then if something hurts and they discourage and don't come back, it didn't do anybody, it did nothing for anybody. So. Yeah, so at least they know what to do, <laughs> and hopefully they come back. So, yeah, there's trade-offs well, to all the different kinds. I think. I mean, there there's certainly advantage of accountability if somebody's made an appointment with you and they come every week. Well, but but you know th there is, but you can't deny that there's a cost to personal training. Right. I mean, it is how I earn my living. Um, and even though it is a, even though it's a change in the client's behalf to their benefit, mm -hmm. people are still resistant to change, right. whether it's from lethargy or comfort or, yeah. um, you know, so, so sometimes you have that false start. That's not the trainer's fault. It's just that the person really wasn't ready to make this appointment with themselves yeah. to come in. Um, however, beating them up on their first appointment is not going to help that. <laughs> no, they're definitely not coming back. <laughs> they're definitely not coming after that. So, right. um, you just have to not take it personally if they don't come back, because again, right. they may just not have been ready right. to, to come in, to make exactly. that appointment with themselves, um, even yeah. though it is a change in their own behalf. Nice. So. Well, where can people find your work? Why don't you? Um, give us all your information on, for people that want to go further and uh, check out your books and websites and things. Well, the the free stuff is on YouTube, which uh, for some reason is at youtube.com 
slash at joint friendly fitness 8048. Okay. I don't I don't know what 8048 means, but if you don't put 8048, <laughs> oh, it won't everybody. come up. You get everybody else who ever claims uh, friendly fitness. Okay. And on um, the the Amazon, which has the print and Kindle versions of joint friendly fitness and congruent exercise and moment arm exercise, um, that would be Amazon.com slash author slash Bildi Simone. Takeaway, if you think a workout might not be right for you, trust your instincts, do some research, and don't be afraid to proceed cautiously. I would like to encourage you to check out Bill's YouTube videos at Joint Friendly Fitness 8048 and books on Joint Friendly Fitness, Congruent Exercise, and Moment Arm, and those are at his author page on Amazon. Thanks again for listening to the Off of the Couch podcast. You can find me at offofthecouch.com. Take a small step. See you next week.